Welcome back to the Marion Flaxman Network Podcast. On today's episode, my conversation with musician, educator, and type 1 diabetic, Dave Cavalier. After my first episode, Dave reached out to say that if I ever wanted to do an episode on diabetes and all of the healthcare and nutrition implications around it, he'd be more than happy to join me in conversation. Today, we did just that. I had a lot of fun, and our conversation went all over the place, from food marketing to nutrition education in schools and so much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Dave Cavalier. Welcome to the podcast. In. Hello. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks I'm so for thrilled. having a podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Um, so my first episode came out and you immediately texted me from, mm-hmm. I think, Germany? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool. I was like, I have a rock star in Europe listening mm-hmm. to my podcast. I'm special. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for contributing to my ego. Of course. We spend a lot of time in the van and we need things to listen to. And so- this was the perfect thing to listen to. And now you guys can yeah. listen to it together. You'd be like, guys, it's me. Mm-hmm. It's me. <laughs> yeah. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you immediately said, hey, if you ever want to talk about diabetes, mm-hmm. let's do it. Yeah. So we will get there. Mm-hmm. And I said, of course, absolutely. But I want to discuss many more things. First and foremost, let's start off with how we know each other. Because I feel like it's actually, at least in my eyes, a funny story. It's such a good, uh, because I was actually thinking this on the way over here because I told some people, I was like, I am, uh, I'm going on my friend Marion's podcast. And um, I, for whatever reason, this question keeps coming up. How do you know her? Like, where did you guys meet? And I was like, I don't actually know. I was like, I know it has to do with Resball, mm-hmm. a uh, festival that my band used to throw like in college, um, Ithaca. And that's kind of it. I know that there is like an Ithaca connection and a College Park connection, but yes. I don't actually remember where we met. So it is, it's pre Resball, but it is the Res mm-hmm. and it's Vasudeva. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But like, I honestly, so basically, if I hadn't been making questionable choices in my young life, mm-hmm. we would not be friends. Uh-huh. So thank you, questionable choice. Yes. 20 year old Marion. Yes. She was cute. Um, I decided when I had like a one and a half year old that I had never done any kind of like traditional young person thing, Mm -hmm. like go to a college bar Mm. and see music. And so, um, I went to college park and I went to this bar to see music and I think the res was playing. Um, and I think even like Vasudeva and the Res maybe shared a bill one night. Like it's very possible it could have been at Santa Fe. Yeah, it was like <laughs> this very crowded. So I don't remember the name, but it was like this very crowded room, lots of college girls. It was like in the very like collegey part. So Vasudeva used to play at a bar that's like closer towards IKEA, but this bar was deep in the college districty yeah. area, mm-hmm. and there was like a parking lot out back where people would like hang out and talk and. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this guy, James, who was older and he had a kid and Aurora and I hung out with them. Mm. I don't remember mm-hmm. like the impetus for my first going to this place, mm-hmm. but I know that I, I went there to meet this guy, James, I think, mm-hmm. but I ended up meeting this guy, Jay. Yeah. Yeah. And he was close friends with Mark. Yes. We know Jay. And I totally fell in love with Jay. Mm-hmm. I like had this like, I just fell in love with him. I don't know what it was. 
Um, shout mm-hmm. out to Jay. Shout out Jay. We're yeah, still friendly. <laughs> um, but I was like, I had a moment there where I was like, mm-hmm. I think I love this person. Yeah. And so then I came to a few shows in a row because he was there. Right. And I was just checking it out. And then he introduced me to the band, which feels so cool. Mm-hmm. Like you're a teen mom, you never get out. And now like you know the band. Oh, right. yeah. So that was when... That was how we first met. Okay. And then I got into the res and I got your guys' CD Mm -hmm. and I was rocking out to it. And then Aurora and I came to res ball Mm -hmm. and the rest is history. Yeah. And then I guess you go to Ithaca. I moved to Ithaca. And Harris, the singer of my band, his girlfriend at the time is also going to Ithaca. Exactly. We were both at Cornell. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we start going to Ithaca. That's right. And, and that's so we when, solidified our connection. Right. Because culture shock, your spot. Yes. And uh, yeah. So it all, that's exactly. where it really started to yeah, tie in more. It compounded on itself. Yeah. And then you guys came up one time to see the Flaming Lips perform at Cornell. Were you there for No, that? I think that was a Harrison and Mark thing. Harrison and Mark. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But that. there were many trips. Yeah. And then here we are. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back down to this area. Yeah. And then you were up there yeah. nearby-ish. Mm-hmm. Yes. And shout out to you for having a kombucha cocktail bar before anybody else even thought that that would be a possibility. Yes. But kombucha was like very, uh, I don't know, not mainstream at all. It yeah. was just like this thing that everybody thought tasted like vinegar. And uh, turns out it's uh, delicious with alcohol. Yes. Yeah. I do pride myself on both drinking vinegar and also being <laughs> ahead of the trends. Yeah. <laughs> My palate was vinegar adjusted very young. Mm-hmm. So that My that wife's uh, grandfather lived a really long time and uh, accredited to taking a shot of apple cider vinegar every morning. See? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is he, he's not around anymore? No. Oh, I was like, future podcast guest? I have <laughs> yeah. a thing for grandfathers. Yeah. Bring them on. <laughs> so yeah, so we met because, and this, I love this because it ties into the conversation about like walking a winding path, which many people that I love do. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't walked that winding path to going out to a random college bar for a couple nights, I think sure. I went maybe three times total, mm-hmm. we would never have met. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Now we're old. Mm-hmm. Still hanging out. Yeah. Some so, of us have three kids, one of which is like a grown-ass adult already. One, so yeah. <laughs> some of us have a kid who is almost probably the age that, because you're a little bit younger than me, maybe two years. Yeah, 37. A year. You're 37? Mm-hmm. Oh, we're the exact same age. You're yes. older than me. Yeah. I'm July of 86. Oh, my God. 86 babies. Mm-hmm. Okay. For some reason, I thought you were like an 88. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, hello, friend. Exact yeah. same age, mm-hmm. but I'm still 36. I'm young. Of course. You're yeah. old. Mm-hmm. But Aurora is almost the age that we were when we met because right. we were like 20. Yeah, it's wild. So that's strange. But mm-hmm. here we are. She was she was but a babe mm-hmm. back then. Um, and I do I kind of want to talk about like, well, first of all, what you remember about being that age about being 18 19 20 mm-hmm. 21 um and then also like the journey oh my <laughs> my tummy just growled did you hear that i did wow i'm hungry i'm sure you have like a very scientific reason as to why that <laughs> happened you know actually like no what is the science behind a tummy growl as opposed to just hunger or like low blood sugar or one of the many feelings you might get i don't know but you were one of the first people to tell me that like uh you know that there isn't there a, a a book called like Everybody Burps or Everybody yeah, Farts. Yeah, there is Everybody Farts. And you were like, you don't have to though. And uh, <laughs> I always, uh, I do always think about you because you, I oh think gosh. you're the person who eats the slowest in of anyone that I know. You're the slowest eater, and I'm the fastest eater, which is not good. I know that, That's but awesome. uh, I feel, I feel like I remember 
you had this saying that was like drink your food and chew your water mm-hmm. right yeah. and uh i and you're like this is why people burp and fart right because they eat too quickly and then their body can't metabolize it fast enough see your little gems of knowledge they have stuck with me through the years marion i am just but, uh, full of gems yeah so is that not why your stomach is growling does it have nothing to do with that the burping and the farting and the growling these are not I don't think so. I think that my stomach is just very empty. Mm-hmm. But I now later I'm going to have to Google like what causes the growl. Because uh-huh. we've all been really hungry mm-hmm. and just felt terrible, but not had our stomachs growl. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the growl. It's because I worked out. My body is like, it's Give revved up. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> feed me. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm busy right now, body. Chill. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's dive into it. Little baby Dave mm-hmm. goes off to college. What does he think he's going to be when he grows up? He has no idea. No um, idea. So college, I'm like, uh, I'm definitely fully obsessed with music at this point. Um, I think I'm only playing drums. I picked up the guitar in college, um, mainly because I like moved into a very small apartment with a bunch of roommates and like, uh, you know, like the equivalent of a dorm. Basically, couldn't have a drum set way too loud, way too annoying, way too much. Um, I think my cousin had a guitar, wasn't using it. It was pretty busted up. And so I was like, instrument with the volume knob. I'll, that's what I'll do from now on. Um, and, I, you know, I'd like lived in my parents' house up until then. So my drums were in the basement, no problem, you know. Um, and so I'm full in on music. I'm playing in bands. I'm doing that whole thing. Um, I decide to get into audio production after picking like a bunch of other majors but um that's where i landed because i was like it's in the world of music but it's something i don't know how to do yet right how to record how to use microphones how to capture sound blah blah blah. so that was your um, major that was my major was audio, audio engineering production. yeah audio engineering yeah. cool yeah i have a bachelor's of science technically nice um so yeah so i do that and then yes while i am in college uh when i'm 20 um, I get a phone call after a routine physical from the doctor. Um, I don't answer it because I'm in class. He leaves me a voicemail, basically says, I think you have diabetes. You should come back to the doctor's office, right? I don't feel any symptoms at this point. I don't feel, t- but also I'm really not in tune with my body like that. I'm like 20 years old and I'm just like living my life or whatever. Um, so I call him back. I'm like, I think you've made a mistake. There's no way that I'm diabetic. You know, this is where like the stages of like grief are so real. Yeah. Like the denial was strong yeah. and then it quickly went to anger. You know, why, why, the f- why, you know? And of course they say, I don't know. Right. This is just what happens. And then slowly, slowly to, uh, to accept it. But, um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, I go back in. He says, um, your blood sugar is at like 450 when we tested it. He goes, are you peeing all the time? Do you have headaches? And I was like, no, I don't think so. But then like a- actually that week I did start peeing all the time and I did have this crazy headache. And like I uh, eventually, yeah, went back, went to see the endocrinologist and yeah, we started like a insulin regimen to figure out kind of how diabetic I was. Right, like how much you needed to bring it back down. Yeah, which is interesting, you know. Um, I do remember the the first time I saw the endocrinologist, I, to this day, hate this endocrinologist. I won't say his name, but he's he's the worst. He sucks. Um, He sucks. 
he was like the only one in my area who you know he was like the only available yeah. this is a, there's just like not enough of them right right um but again not diabetic old mean um just like all the worst things anyway uh, i go to see him and uh they basically are like you, you know here's a syringe right here's a vial of insulin um you cannot leave this office until you give yourself a shot right and this was actually a good thing because you don't think about how hard it is to give yourself an injection of anything. You have to turn off your brain. If you were holding a knife to yourself, your arm wouldn't let you stab yourself, right? right? Because you're like, don't do not do that, right? right? It's pretty innate. But basically, you have to be like, no, 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 this is medicine. I need this. Go, you know, do it. And so that part was good. And so, yeah, I, it was hard, but I did it. And now injections, like, I don't even think about them, right? Second nature. The problem with him was, and this is my thing with like endocrinologists who aren't diabetic will never understand what it's like to be diabetic. Like I would bring in my reader at the time, not a continuous glucose monitor, right? Just a regular like blood tester. And, uh, you know, I test three to five times a day, maybe. He's like, you got to test more. You, you got to test more. Like this isn't enough, like, you know, and your numbers are high. And I'm like, okay. And the more I go back, he's just like shaming me. Every time, you know, it's just like, these numbers are so high. Like, you're going to, like, you know, you're on, like, a path right now. And the more you deviate, like, the harder it's going to be to get back to it. Like, you have to test more. You have to do this. You have to do it. And, you know, it might have been sound advice, but I just remember the delivery was so, you know, for, like, this old man talking to, like, a 20-year-old being like, you need to make lifestyle changes. And I'm like, well, what does that mean, you know? He's like, change everything about your life. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's just do that. Burn the whole thing down. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that was my, like, first experience with an endocrinologist, like an old, mean man, to the point where, like, I didn't want to test my blood sugar because I was scared that the number would be too high, and then I would have to show it to him, and then he would be like, your numbers are too high, you know? To then, I go to another endocrinologist who is diabetic, and she's immediately just like, well, yeah, like, of course your numbers are high. You're diabetic. Like, doesn't that make sense? You know, like, just keep bringing me data and we'll make a plan for how we can, you know, best treat you because you are different than the next five diabetics that I'm going to see today. And I was just like, Hallelujah. where have you been my whole wow, life? Night you know, and day. night and day, night and day. Wow. So, so. And that, that was your second endocrinologist? Second one, yeah. Wow. So you've really just seen the complete opposite, both sides of the spectrum yeah. in terms of the worst of the worst does not get it. Very old fashioned yeah. shame frame. Yeah. Maybe if I just yell at him enough, he'll do better right. without offering any kind of actual treatment. Right. Aside from give yourself insulin when your numbers are high. Right. And then on the other hand, this woman who herself is diabetic, yeah. young, I, young, yeah. gets it, mm-hmm. understands that you're an individual and that, yeah, like you're still in the part of, getting diagnosed where you're figuring out yeah. how to treat it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Just the f- just feeling like I want to um, test my blood sugar and know my numbers and know my data and not be scared of it being high because right. that that's wrong and shameful and pu- right. right exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just like yeah, it, it never works. I mean, yeah, I tell me as a parent, right? Negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement. Well, like, I was just gonna, thinking that. Yeah. Like, of course, and it's really hard as a parent because, um, 
not to sympathize with this old endocrinologist because <laughs> yeah. he sounds terrible. Yeah. But yeah, when your kid does something wrong or bad or dangerous, mm-hmm. it's hard not to want to yell and scream at them and, and shame them. But you have to find a way to communicate that doesn't drive it underground. Yeah. Because the worst thing you can do is shame a behavior that they can't help but repeat because then they will keep repeating it Mm -hmm. and they will know that every time they do they are unacceptable to you and all you've done there is build a wedge between you and your child a wedge that has a big sign on it which says you are unloved and unlovable and you've not actually done anything to alter their behavior so just the opposite of what you might possibly want to get from that um it reminds me a lot of my experience being a young kid um, who was overweight and obese, and I would go to the doctor who was, you know, not overweight and just not my age and mm-hmm. not a woman and all that fun stuff. And he would just say to me, like, well, you should lose some weight, mm-hmm. eat healthier, right. move more. Mm-hmm. What What does that mean? I mean, first of all, I'm like 10. Yeah. And second of all, Google wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. So even today you might have the option to go home and look up like what does it mean to eat healthier and even that's a nightmare like please don't google that because it'll just send you down a a spiral yeah you'll just want to like beat your head into a wall but that wasn't even an option for me so you're telling a child who doesn't do the grocery shopping or the cooking just Mm -hmm. you know consumes what feels good and whatever you're at you're just saying to me like you're unacceptable yeah. you're bad right. you're making bad choices but i can't really tell you what they are or exactly how you should change them and yeah it not it not only made me feel like rejected but it made me not want to go to the doctor and it made me not want to lose weight because right. i was kind of like fuck you yeah. <laughs> like i'd rather i'd be more pleased to piss you off right by doing whatever i want yeah than try to follow whatever BS non-advice you just gave me. Definitely. So it kind of sounds like this guy's method may have even exacerbated your diabetes because he's like, yeah. you're like, I don't want to please you. Totally. Yeah. And it's that like, I don't know, like fight or flight thing where I'm, or maybe just like a rebel thing where you're just like, well, I'm never going back to that guy. Fuck right. that guy. Like, yeah. I like you forget that like, you know, the patient has to make these appointments. Right. And so, and especially the further you get in your adult life when you're like, if I don't pick up the phone, I'm not going to go to the doctor because the doctor is not going to call me and say, hey, come in, you know, for your treatment. This is your responsibility to go in and like, you know, be on top of your stuff or whatever. And so if you have this fucking asshole who like is giving you nothing but grief and no answers and no help and no treatment and it's just like shame, shame, shame all the time. It's like, no, why would I go there? And so, yes, it's very refreshing to like, you know, find a doctor who's actually like on your side and uh, who can be like, here are the things you are doing that is working. Here are the things where we can find improvements. Like, you know, let's make a plan that's best for you, you know, because like, yeah, you should like, you should go to the doctor. You should talk to nutritionists. You should, you know, talk to your endocrinologist and ask a million questions. And, you know, when you feel like you're getting rushed out of there because they do have literally hundreds of patients, you have to be the one to advocate for yourself and slow them down and be like, wait, wait, wait. Like, what about this? What about that? You know, and not just like, uh, essentially like accept whatever treatment plan they give to you right off the bat. You'd be like, well, what if we change this, that, and that nine times out of 10, they'll be like, yes. Okay. That we can alter that a little bit. It's worth it to take the extra moment, ask the question, you know, make it best for, for you. Right. Yeah. And you now, so we just established that you're old 
Yeah, so you've been old. super old. So you've been doing this interaction with the healthcare system more than the average, certainly man, mm-hmm. certainly young man, for at this point almost twenty years. Yeah. So you've learned a lot about how to navigate it, um, and even so. You were just at the doctor the other day, and you mm-hmm. called me afterwards yeah. because the experience was so frustrating. Yeah. And um, I want to talk a little bit about what of that was so frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think like there's something to be said for learning through experience, and that let's say the average person, like you were diagnosed with type one diabetes at age 20, mm-hmm. so later than average. Yeah but earlier than most people are diagnosed with a chronic illness, right? Mm -hmm. Most people in the U.S. who have a chronic condition tend to be in their 50s, 60s, -hmm. like they pile up as you age. Type 2 diabetes, et cetera. Even things like obesity become more prevalent with age. Sure. So if you're older and you've been living your life, um, going to the doctor maybe once a year at best because mm-hmm. you're a man and you're fine yeah, and yeah. who cares and then suddenly you have this diagnosis and based on what we're hearing right now from you it's like it takes years to learn how to navigate this system yeah. to learn how to advocate for yourself to for learn sure. how long you should force the doctor to sit in the room with you and talk yeah. to make sure that all your questions have been answered mm-hmm. I mean if I'm diagnosed with type 2 diabetes when I'm 70 I may not have time to learn through experience how to advocate for myself. So what do you think that could be done um, about that? Like how can we, obviously the healthcare system is broken in so many ways, which we'll try to get into. We don't have a year to talk, but (laughs) we'll try to touch it. Um, But off the top of your head, like how do you think we could help people become better advocates for themselves within Mm -hmm. the healthcare setting faster? Yeah, that's tough and a very loaded question. But like, I mean, I wish I had the answers for these things. You know, I think the the most important thing is like um, everybody's journey is going to be different through the healthcare system. And like everyone's personal needs are different. Right. My the most important thing for me is insulin is medication. Right. So like bar none, like this is the thing where I'm like, who is going to give me the cheapest insulin, right? The cheapest copay when it comes, because this is the thing that I'm buying every month, several months supply, you know, and the Dexcom now, the the CGM, the glucose monitor. It's like, who is covering this? Because this is the actual day-to-day nuts and bolts management of my diabetes, right? So that's number one is like, figure out what your needs are, because if your needs are not medication, if they're uh, specialists or, you know, something else, and you might need a different plan or a different provider, or, you know, and I, I am no expert in like, you know, shopping. I almost always use um, like a third party who's there to help you navigate the system. And I'll just be like, look, this is what I need. And they'll be like, okay, this is what I think. And then of course, based on your income, you know, do you get like lower income subsidies or are you eligible for Medicaid? Are you, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. Um, so it's like, purely financial unfortunately first right what is the best plan for me and then yeah making it work for your personal needs then once you're in the room with a doctor or an endocrinologist or whatever specialist uh, you're going to i think the most important thing is to essentially like come correct and like be as knowledgeable as you possibly can before you walk in the room and then you know the right questions to ask you know as opposed to being like 
it's okay if like you really don't know anything about like you know your ailment whatever it is that you're going through but you do need to like slowly learn and educate yourself as much as you can so that you can make a better educated plan for how to manage whatever it is that you're dealing with i want to come back to what you said about the stages of grief Mm -hmm. because um having a degree in public health i've taken classes in like healthcare communication and one of the main things that we're taught is like crisis communication basically like how to deliver bad news with mm-hmm. compassion mm-hmm. and with sensitivity to the fact that it's hard when people receive really bad news and that bad news is often um, exemplified in things like a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. but of course a chronic disease diagnosis and especially one like type 1 diabetes where they're not saying like hey I want you to lose 10 pounds right. they're saying hi you're going to be insulin dependent for eternity. Pretty big news to receive when you're 20 or whatever age you are when you get that. It strikes me that the way that you were told is just a quick phone call from the doctor as opposed to like a communication managed plan Mm -hmm. where they went, oh, and I get it. Maybe he was worried about you. Right, you have right. a this blood sugar of 400. He's yeah, like, yeah. hi, you're, are yeah. you in the streets passed out? Mm-hmm. But it's weird to me that there wouldn't be a stronger focus on delivering a diagnosis like that in mm-hmm. a compassionate way and leaving a lot of space yeah. for the grieving and for the questions that come up and for the processing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that is common when a diagnosis of a chronic illness is delivered. I mean, I definitely, I think when Aurora was diagnosed with food mm-hmm. allergies, I was just like sent the results of her blood test. Yeah. I don't even think anyone called me necessarily. Mm-hmm. Or if they did, they just said like, hey, don't eat nuts. <laughs> right. Or you'll die. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how come? I how think it come... was a, a slow rollout because they didn't know exactly what was going on like we were talking about like type 1.5 diabetes right? right they were like we don't really know yet until we give you insulin and then see how you react to it so that was also part of the part of the anger and frustration at first um i remember another phone call i had where the endocrinologist they called me back this was after like a week or two of me you know t- they were like we're gonna start you with just lantus right just a long release maybe you can just take insulin in the morning and go about your life you know, that's possible for some people, I guess. It's more common in type 2 diabetics, right? The right. slow release? Yeah. 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 Um, type 1, they take both, basically. So I'm like, okay, I've come to accept it. I'm diabetic, right? But maybe I just take one shot in the morning and I'm good. And then I get another phone call where they're like, that's not going to be for you. You're going to need to take not only this long uh, release, but also like the rapid insulin. And you're going to need to do it every time you eat a carbohydrate for the rest of your life, you know? And then I was like, fuck, I'm now, now I'm just angry. Right. Because I'm like, I thought I was going to get away with like this one thing. And now it's like, okay, no, you have to give yourself multiple shots a day, every day forever. And uh, so that's why it wasn't like all at once where you get the smoke, you know, it's just like, we have to figure out what exactly is going on with you. And now it's like, yeah, I don't even think about it. It's like, I, okay, I have a car, but I take a shot, I, whatever, you know? Right. Um, but at the time, yeah, when you're 20 and they're like, you know, this is your life now. You're right. Like, I, you're like, I guess there's no other way. <laughs> you right. know, they're like, yeah, this is all we got. This is the best we can do, which is actually pretty good because 
I think people used to die way earlier with this disease. It right? definitely did used to be like, yeah, you're just going to die. Sorry about that. Yeah. Or maybe like a ketogenic diet. Right. Um, but still. Yeah. Because as you have mentioned to me and as many people know, like your body will shoot off glucose even if you don't eat a carb. Yeah. So at a certain point, if you can never clear glucose from your bloodstream. Right. You're gonna have a bad time. Yeah, this is this is uh, another frustrating part of this. Is like I I can go to bed with perfect blood sugar. I'm at one of three or something, Ugh. you know, just an Life amazing blood sugar, mm. and then not give myself any insulin for the overnight or whatever, and I will wake up and it'll be at 300, 350 from wow. just from going to sleep. This is just from the natural, yeah, like we said, like cortisol and glucose levels like rising right. overnight. You're, you know, I don't know what you can explain it to, to me better than I can probably. But like uh, essentially your body thinks that it's start. You're in a fasting state, right? And it just starts releasing things. Right. And uh, yeah, your glucose level rises and then, yeah, you're super high in the morning. So this is where I take like the long release overnight to make sure that that doesn't happen. Got it. Yeah. Very interesting. But yeah, if I'm perfect at night and I go to sleep, it will not be like that in the morning. Huh. Yeah. So going back to when you were first diagnosed, do you remember like how you were eating, drinking, sleeping, and then after you were diagnosed mm -hmm. and maybe like leaving out the grieving process because maybe things got even crazier sure. in that time. Mm -hmm. But once you were like, okay, fine, I'm a diabetic. Yeah. Do you remember the changes that you did have to make because I know that he the doctor at the time said Look, change your whole life right, and then right. probably didn't provide much guidance except maybe like eat fewer carbs right. so do you recall because um, I know in my experience with food allergies that mm -hmm. one of the weird silver linings and blessings is that it really helps you be very aware of how every single bite you take impacts your health. For sure. So when it comes to what you have gone through, obviously you are now very tuned in with your body and aware of how food impacts you. But let's talk about like the first six months, right? Mm -hmm. How you were eating, sleeping, drinking before. Yeah. And then what you immediately changed and then what you figured out how to change um, over time to help yourself feel better and live better. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what my diet was like at the time because it was like 17 years ago. But I would have to assume that like, I mean, I know that like I've always been, I've never been like a wildly unhealthy eater in my eyes, you know, like I do try to make like healthy choices and, you know, um, like portion control has always been like something that I pay attention to. And But you were in college. I was in college. So definitely like, you know, alcohol, weed, munchies. Chipotle, yeah. like, you know, these things, right? It's like, yeah, I'm sure I wasn't like a like a beacon of health or anything. Um, but I was also like more active at the time and, yeah. you know, exercising more and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Playing in bands all the time, playing in drums, all playing drums all the time, you know, just loading, unloading, active, active stuff. Right. Um and yeah, I'm trying to remember how I was sleeping, if I was sleeping. I don't like I don't remember uh, noticing any big disturbances, which is why I was like really surprised by by the diagnosis, you know. But then afterwards, yeah, I did get hyper focused on like, okay, when I go here, what is there for me, right? And so when I go to Chipotle, what do I do? When I go to a Seven Eleven, what do I do? When I go to like a nice restaurant, what do I do? When I go to the grocery store, you know, that's what became my whole like focus. I was like, what is here for me? 
and what is definitely not here for me like what's on the list of like do not touch these items kind of thing and that's been the thing that is kind of constantly changing through I kind of hover on I don't know I try to keep it consistent but like you know I'm forever curious about how whatever food is going to affect my body on whatever day, which is something that we've talked about before. An apple today is not an apple tomorrow, right? It's going right. to do different things to my body. But Actually, that's, been, that's been the journey. What's here that, for me? Say that again, because I think that that's so important and so overlooked, not just in the diabetes space, but mm-hmm. in the food as medicine space and mm-hmm. in the people eating food space. Yeah, An apple today will not affect me the same way as an apple tomorrow. Yeah. Depending on how you've slept, what you've mm-hmm. consumed otherwise. Have if you you're exercised? having have you exercised? Mm-hmm. Are you going to exercise later? Yeah. Are you super stressed out? You mm-hmm. know, are you chewing it? Mm-hmm. Are you swallowing it too quickly? Yeah. All of these factors, there really is I, I shy away from <laughs> this term that's often on the internet, which is like, there's no such thing as a bad food because mm-hmm. I really think there is, uh-huh. especially the foods that aren't foods. Right. Those are bad. Yeah. But I think that there is no such thing as an always good food. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to real foods, even in the case of someone with you know blood sugar that needs to be managed, a food might impact you totally differently yeah. two different days. Yeah. Yeah, this is why uh, making plans with uh, endocrinologists who are not diabetic can be really frustrating because they'll be like, okay, when you have this amount of carbs, take this amount of insulin. And I'm like, there is more to it than that. You know, where is my glucose level at this time? Is it going up? Is it going down? Is it on a straight line? Are we at 150 or 200 or uh, 80? You know, like, because if I'm really low and I eat an apple, I might not want to give myself insulin. I might want to wait to see exactly you know where it tapers off it's it i feel like um endocrinologists in particular but probably all doctors they want it to be an exact science right this diabetes and particularly the chasing of like the glucose level and like it's just not like so many diabetics are like chasing it basically i've, I've heard that i've heard it referred to that but basically i mean really with the dexcom right like it gives you your number and you can see if it's going up or if it's going down or if it's like plummeting or, you know, what direction it's going. And so you give yourself insulin to correct it. You're at 200. OK, now we're going down. Oh, no, we gave ourselves a little bit too much. And now I drink some juice to correct that. Now we're going back up. I drank a little too much juice. Insulin. Bring it back down. This is all day, every day for like a lot of diabetics. Right. It has to be like your hobby, like right. chasing this thing and taking care of it. And. The ideal scenario is that you are super structured and everything is exactly the same every day. You give yourself the same amount of insulin. You eat the same food. You know exactly what's going to happen. And it's just not like that. Nobody lives like that, right? For the most part. It'd be ideal. But, like, no one's really living like that. So there's a lot of chasing going on in this insulin versus continuous glucose monitor world. Right. And now that you have a CGM, which you've had for... How long? A couple years. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Still, though, like 15 years. Way too late. Just raw dogging it. Yeah. And then suddenly this awesome thing comes. Yeah. Um, so now that you have one and you have more up-to-the-minute details yeah. on how blood sugar changes, can you give me an example of something besides insulin mm-hmm. that you notice will drop your blood sugar? 
Um, alcohol, alcohol overnight in particular, um, and exercise, exercise and alcohol yeah. will lower the blood sugar. That's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Everything else yeah. brings it up. Yeah. What do you think about non-diabetics wearing a CGM? Do you think it's cool? Do you think it's appropriative? Do you think it's useful? Uh, it must be useful. Um, if only to find out that you are hypoglycemic. So yeah. many people are like, I'm hangry. Mm -hmm. It's like, you need juice. Yeah. Like, you, like, I'm telling you, like, I, I'll be like, anyone's like, I'm, I'm feeling hangry right now. I'll run off the list of hypoglycemic symptoms. Are you, does your stomach hurt real bad? Do you have tunnel vision? Are you shaky in the hands? Are you feeling really anxious? Are you irritable? Yes, 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 yes. Drink literally a glass of juice and you're going to feel a million times better in like five minutes. Yes. Every, like, even if it's only for like a month, you yeah. know? wear one of these things and see like what your body is doing. Maybe you're pre-diabetic, right? Maybe yeah. you're like on your way to type two right. and you need to like roll it back before like the symptoms start to get like really serious and you right. can do it like before it gets bad, literally by just like diet and exercise and supplements or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Are you aware of the overlap um, in women between uh, insulin control, PCOS and type two diabetes? So they're all connected. So PCOS is like an insulin-sensitive disease. Okay. But it's a polycystic ovarian syndrome, mm -hmm. and it often corresponds to elevated testosterone in the female body um, and all kinds of frustrating symptoms like difficulties with periods and also like um, infertility or like having a very hard time getting pregnant mm -hmm. and also multiple cysts on the ovaries, hence the name. But um, it tends to go along with lack of insulin mm -hmm. control, and uh, lack of insulin sensitivity. And often people with PCOS will end up with full-blown type 2 diabetes yeah. because of this sort of like cascade that's going back and forth between their immune system and their endocrine system. So it's just interesting how like things can overlap mm -hmm. like that and how like I think because you just said like maybe you're pre-diabetic, I yeah, think yeah. for a lot of women who are diagnosed with uh, – Difficult periods, let's yeah. say, right? Like, let's say I'm a 16-year-old girl. I have heavy periods, and I go to the gynecologist. They're just going to give me birth control. Mm -hmm. They're just going to say, oh, heavy periods. Take this right, birth control right. pill. Mm -hmm. They're not going to bother to suggest that I wear a CGM for two months right. to see if maybe there's a correlation between my blood sugar levels and my symptoms, and if possibly there's some sort of broader cascade going on where mm -hmm. really my body's trying to send me a signal that I should be worried about this, yeah. but instead we just turn it off. Um, so hopefully, I mean, that didn't happen to you because you're not a lady, <laughs> but um, I do think it's interesting how our system is very much geared towards not seeking more information. Right. And sometimes, again, this is my own lens, having a food allergy child and my own health issues over the years, sometimes a diagnosis can be a blessing and that it unlocks our own interest in our own bodies yeah. and it forces us to look inward mm -hmm. and to start studying the data of ourselves because until that diagnosis the healthcare system I mean I, I used to go to the doctor when I was 18 yeah. and I was you know a healthy weight mm -hmm. and they'd do the normal blood and it would say my cholesterol was fine and my right. blood pressure was fine mm -hmm. and my whatever other profiles were fine uh, and I was like, I feel terrible 
Like I'm 18 years old. Right. I feel exhausted. My joints hurt. Right, like right. I can't run on a treadmill because the pain that I feel in my knees is so bad. I have skin rashes. And the doctor literally was like, well, you look, you look great. Yeah. You're killing it. Great job. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never coming back here. Yeah. Like you don't offer me anything. Mm -hmm. The doctor was not curious. And consequently, it took me longer to get curious right. because it wasn't it wasn't pushed back to me like, well, why don't you go home and keep a food diary for the next right. month and see if you notice or keep yeah. a sleep diary. Like sure. no one was suggesting wear a CGM. That wasn't an option at the right. time, but nobody was pushing it back to me mm -hmm. saying, take your health into your own hands and go get curious. And so I was just told, like you were told, we don't know. Right. We don't know. Right. Everything else looks good. Mm -hmm. You're fine. You're 18. You're fine. Or many women also get, it must be in your head. Right. Luckily, I don't think he actually said that to me because mm -hmm. he would be deceased. Uh -huh. But <laughs> it was yeah. probably implied. Sure. So I think in a way, it's cool. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, probably not everyone takes it on in the same way but in the case of diabetes mm. you really have to right like you have to become an expert yeah. in every bite that you take you have to become an expert in going into the room and knowing what's for you and what's not for you because yeah. it's a much more immediate life or death kind of a thing right yeah. like if you well, lose control the, the uh the things that could go bad are scarier, right? Right. Going blind, losing right. limbs, right. nerve damage, right? Yeah. These are things that really nobody wants, yeah. right? It's not like, a, oh, you might, I don't know, you'll have a, you'll walk with a hunch later <laughs> in life or something. No, yeah. it's like you're going to lose your foot, right. you know? You're going to lose your sight. It's exactly. like, this is like serious shit that like you need to, you know, if you want to have any chance of continuing, like whatever, you know, like I'm a drummer, right? I want to be able to do that forever. You yeah. know, like all the things that I do, all the you know, teaching and bartending and, you know, all the stuff that I do. Feeding your cat. Yeah. How would he live he, but if he, you had that hunch? Guess what? <laughs> My cat's diabetic. Is he really? Yeah. Did you adopt him because you wanted like a brethren? No, no, he became diabetic. Yeah. Later in life, like me. I will try not to spiral out into this topic, but tell me more about your diabetic cat. I think it's fascinating that animals share our diseases period cancer yes. diabetes whatever of course um we are animals too well of course but jasper and i now share insulin Aww. he uses my insulin which is great because we like don't have wipe to buy the any. needle off and <laughs> this is actually a really funny thing because jasper he, wears a pump actually <laughs> he, he likes it he would be better off yeah he uh we had, I, I went to the vet. The vet was like, yeah, he's diabetic. You got to give him insulin. We were, we were like, God, it's so annoying. But I was like, whatever. I'm like an insulin expert. I can give him shots, no problem, right? And so I was like, is it cool if he uses my, this is the kind of insulin that I use. Is oh, that okay? Yeah. And they were like, oh, I don't know. We like to use Lantus. And I was like, well, I used to use Lantus. This is basically the same thing. And uh, they were like, I don't know. You got to ask your doctor. And I was like, okay. I asked my doctor. And they were like, we don't know anything about cats. What? <laughs> Why are you here? And so nobody really had an answer. And so I just started giving him my insulin and, you know, it worked. He's, he's fine. Do you test his blood sugar? He, you have to go, you have to drop him off at the vet, like however often you want to do it, however often you want to spend like 150 bucks basically. And he gets like a curbs test is what it's called. And they just kind of test him all day long. And uh, then you pick him up at night and then they're like, okay, this is what it did today. And then is he a type one diabetic? I guess technically. Yeah, I do. I mean, I give him shots every time he eats. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That give him is... a shot every time. 
you are ready for parenthood, my friend. That is, you are prepared. (laughs) You have been hazed by this cat. He's like, but do you really love me? Now, I wonder if when Jasper goes to the vet, they sit him down and they're like, it's too high, Jasper. I think they, he just attacks them viciously immediately. <laughs> he He's claws like, why them. am I here? Claw, claw, claw. You should have tried that. Yeah, I should have. I probably did verbally. Is it like, is oh, there like a weird life hack where you could buy like pet insurance for Jasper and the pet insurance is cheaper than human insurance and the pet insurance into. would buy like the fancy insulin and then you could just like, you know, share? It's honestly worth looking into, yeah. I mean, hashtag life hack, right? Yeah, that's probably good. This is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. I'm also shocked that there isn't like a subcategory or at least like a, a different label that's differently charged, upcharged maybe for cat insulin. I'm yeah. shocked that they aren't like. It was literally Lantus. They were wow. like, we want him to take Lantus, which is like, you know, that's like the one. The one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a little diabetic. You're dude. a little diabetic boo boo. Mm-hmm. My gosh. And how old is he? He's like 16. Wow. Yeah. And when was he diagnosed? Like this year basically maybe last year wow okay yeah. so he was really diagnosed in old age i yeah, mean yeah. you were basically a child compared to his yeah, age yeah. of diagnosis <laughs> yeah. oh jasper yeah that's sweet and see imagine you would be much less equipped to help him out mm-hmm. if you didn't know yeah if you had to learn mm-hmm. like how does the average cat owner learn well you know lauren my wife uh she just like did a ton of like online research and just started asking the vet a million questions and just like learned how cats are diabetic and if it's different than you know she was basically like yeah my husband's diabetic so like you know i am like somewhat familiar with this but yeah that's what you you know just do research ask questions wow figure it out that's awesome yeah so drifting into a mildly political topic Mm -hmm. and then i know you and i want to touch on healthcare around the world so many things so many (laughs) things you know what block off my calendar (laughs) for the next five days Mm -hmm. um but let's start with quick question Mm -hmm. so you are as far as i know it self-employed and have been off and on for many years kind of yeah yeah kind of i mean i do work for like um self-employed you know like i'm a i'm like a music teacher right for a while i was 1099 as a music teacher private lessons right Right. whatever Mm -hmm. um i'm now w2'd as a so i guess that's not technically self-employed anymore right um i'm a bar manager and I am a courier and I am a, you know, working musician, right? So overall I, title, I am and I'm hustler. not. Yeah. Doing a bunch of stuff <laughs> yeah. to try to pay the bills and stay creative at yeah. the same time, basically. So, but to drive down to the root of this question, yeah. you get your insurance on the open market. Yes. I have a Kaiser Permanente. Sweet. Yeah. So here's my question and why it's a little political. Uh-huh. So you were diagnosed with diabetes. Yeah. When you were 20. Mm-hmm. Still so my parents' in, insurance. Right. Yeah. And then it was around the same time that the Affordable Care Act was passed, or it was passed within the time that you have been diabetic. The Affordable Care Act has been passed. This is when Obama was like, you can stay on your parents' insurance until you were 26. Exactly. Which is exactly what I did. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then also part of the Affordable Care Act is that you cannot be barred from getting insurance on the market due to yep. a chronic illness. Which happened to me a lot. I would call them and be like, can I have insurance, please? And they would be like, no. Are you diabetic? Yes. No, we're not currently offering insurance to people with diabetes at this time. Really? Happened a lot. Wow. Yeah. But no, yeah, that changed um, with Obama. Yeah. Yep. So so this is how why my question is like sort of inherently political because 
Healthcare is politicized in our country because we like it like that. And we don't like to make it something that everyone can afford. Um, So I'm curious, like, if you just think about it for a minute, if it weren't for the Affordable Care Act, as imperfect as it is, Mm -hmm. because let's just put it out there, it's not a perfect policy, what would your life be like? in terms of being able to access healthcare or being able to be a creative, being able to have the hustle, you yeah. know, like what would it look like? It would be impossible. I would have, if it was like it was before I would, there would be no other way than for me to get a nine to five job, most likely working for the government or something with like spectacular benefits where health insurance is part of it and included because like to pay out of pocket for the things that you need to be a diabetic is impossible. So it would not be possible for me to, be like a working musician and to have these like several part-time jobs that all come together to like pay my bills. I would need one full-time job. That's the thing that I do and play music here and there when I can basically. Yeah. Yeah. So acknowledging that the affordable care act is imperfect. Mm -hmm. It does grant us currently in this country, the ability to purchase insurance on the free market to a certain extent, however free it may or may not be. Mm -hmm. And also, it allows people with chronic illnesses to have that freedom. And I think that if you look at American values, which overlap a lot with entrepreneurship or entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. values and the idea that every person should have the chance to take what they care about and make it into their dream and their job, I think that that's important, that it's really valuable. I mean, when you were talking about um, how if the ACA didn't exist, you'd have to have a government job. I was picturing all the unfilled government jobs and thinking, ah, you know, what we need is like a dystopian society in which all the chronically ill people Mm. are forced, are chained Mm -hmm. to working for the government. It's the only way to fill those desks. But I think that's not very American. And I think that um, although the narrative that you hear often in, you know, in the news or whatever, maybe in the right wing media is like, oh, the ACA is not American because we're all about freedom and it's oh, like right. it's too much government control or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think in kind of a roundabout way, having the freedom to be able to purchase your own insurance allows you to live the American dream, allows you to take what you love and care about and make it your passion and your living, Yeah, which is cool. No one is less free than a poor person. Like when you are impoverished, you do not have freedom. You are completely bound to making money and surviving within capitalism. And so if you, if you're bare necessity, right, just stay alive. Right. And that includes healthcare. Like this becomes your entire life goal. How do I do it? How do I get the medications that I need? How do I see the doctor that I need to see? And then of course, a lot of people just don't and like live with their ailments and just like make it work, right? Like we have to compare it to other countries. We have to look at what other people are doing and recognize once and for all that like our system is fucked and it doesn't make any sense. Like I have spent a lot of time in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Sweden, France, Italy. And the number one thing in particular with Germans that I hear when I ask them about this and I'm like, um, are you happy with your healthcare system and government in general. Like I'm always just like trying to pick their brains. Right. And they're like, look, here's the thing. Our, we are taxed a lot. It's like half. Right. But if you compare, if you look at like the amount of money that comes out of your paycheck that goes to like in America, I'm saying, right. Healthcare, childcare, higher education, public transportation, 
anything, right, it is definitely half, if not way more than half, right? What happens when you break your leg? What happens when you call an ambulance? It's $5,000, right, for an ambulance to come get you and take you to a hospital. It makes no sense. They're perfectly happy with it over there. Of course, they have problems. It's not like a perfect society or whatever, but they're like, we understand the value of our dollar and we are in it together. There is a sense of camaraderie. We're all chipping into this thing so that when people need help, they can like actually get it. It's something that we don't do here at all. Yeah, I think, and this is both rooted in my personal bias because these are topics that I care about very deeply and I Mm -hmm. think about their overlap all the time. But I do think that in addition to a sense of camaraderie, a sense of shared responsibility, cultural differences Mm -hmm. of identity in those countries, I think also their food is better. Yeah. And I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, so I can't make any kind of claims about rates of chronic illness. Mm -hmm. But I think that in the U.S., because we have such poor quality food, you know, not that it's necessarily dangerous, like it's not poor quality, like it's full of parasites necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? But it's often devoid of nutrients, it's heavily processed, it's packaged, it's obesogenic, it's all these wonderful things, high glycemic low nutrient density. So when you have a food system like that, that is heavily subsidized Mm -hmm. by the government, Mm -hmm. we could change that. That's a bigger topic. Um, That ends up raising healthcare costs. And I think that we know that. And I think that we know that right now, the situation that we're in with the free market of food is incompatible with a centralized healthcare system because we're not able to afford the level of chronic illness that we make more affordable by subsidizing heavily processed foods. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it's a little bit of like a, you can't get there from here situation mm-hmm. because like you kind of just said, yeah. we have to admit that we're fucked up. Yeah. We really have to have one of these like big picture come to Jesus moments mm-hmm. that if we want to fix healthcare, we have to fix food. If we want to fix food, we have to fix agriculture mm-hmm. and politics, education, education, yeah. all of the above. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely tell you that, and again, me search, not research, right? Whatever. Uh, being there for a month on tour in Europe, um, I'm, I was giving myself the same amount of insulin that I would normally give myself for similar foods, right? A sandwich, a croissant, whatever. Right. Coffee uh, with maybe some cream or milk or whatever. Um, and I'm going low all the time, below 100, below 100 all the time. And I'm like, what is going on here? And this is part of the thing with like wearing the CGM and being super in tune with my body, the feel of going low, the feel of going high. Um, being able to look at it and get like up to the second data of just being like, okay, where is my number now? And I'm telling you, like the food is different. Like it affected my body differently. And I've only done a couple tours with this, with the CGM, like international tours. And now I can like really honestly say like I use less insulin in Europe. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah. It just must be less processed, less high fructose corn syrup, less, you know, whatever. And down to like, literally like Coca-Cola has less sugar in it in Germany. Gatorade has less sugar in it in Germany. Like the same 
things, the same brand even. Like it just has less, like I'm looking at nutrition labels all the time, right? right? Um, and so, yeah, I can tell you like a noticeable amount. It's different. Right. Yeah. It especially interests me for two reasons. First of all, because you're saying I'm still drinking a Coke. I'm still having a croissant. It's yeah. not as if, oh, when I'm home, I grab a soda and a bag of Doritos. And when I'm in Europe, I eat fancy right. salads and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just that I'm eating better mm-hmm. or more nutritious foods. You're literally saying I'm comparing, in theory, comparable foods yeah. and I'm needing less insulin. Yeah. So that interests me, number one. Yeah. Number two, you're not... So oftentimes people will say, oh, I feel so much better when I'm in Europe. And it's like, yes, bitch, you were on vacation. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, right, right, oh right. did you feel better when yeah. you were laying about with sure. no stress? Mm-hmm. Shocking. But that's not what you're saying. Yeah. You're not on vacation. You're no, no, no. Working, working harder. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you're on the road. <laughs> you're in a different time zone. You're crammed in a van. You're yeah. playing every single night. Mm-hmm. You're gigging harder than you would at home. Like, there is more stress on you, not less. You're away from your loved ones, yeah. right? You're managing your marriage at a distance. Like, mm-hmm. The stress load is higher. Yeah. So you're saying even with more stress, less sleep, yeah. all the endocrine challenges that the average person would take on when switching time zones and communicating at home and mm-hmm. their light schedule being changed, still you're having a better glycemic response to the foods. Yes. And the one thing that I will say in favor of touring as a diabetic, like the, the one way in which it is easier is – and this is any tour, not just an international one, is that you are highly structured, right? Mm. So my week um, now is all over the place, right? I work a nine to five one day, a three to 11 the other day, I bartend one night, you know, it's kind of everywhere. Like the touring schedule is like, you wake up, you drive, you load in, you sound check, you play your show, you go to bed, you wake up, you drive over, it's Groundhog Day, right? And so this sets you up to really like if you're diabetic like you can really lock in Dial like your in. insulin schedule or like yeah. you know your meal plan or whatever. You're also very often eating like all the same foods on tour I find. So that's interesting mm-hmm. because I have a professor, my former advisor, who made a point in class one day which I was very resistant to cuz I have that, you know, rebel personality. Mm-hmm. She was like the body's goal is always to maintain homeostasis. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for the body to maintain homeostasis when you keep it on a schedule. Mm -hmm. So if you work out the same time every day and time your meals around the same time, the body will over time find it much easier to maintain control in a variety of ways. To which I was like, well, fuck that. Like, I'm going to work out all over the place. Keep it crazy, (laughs) you know? Like, never let the body know what's coming Um, because I enjoy a good challenge. But I I wonder, you know, although I, I definitely think that the food... There is a difference yeah. in the foods. Um, but People say a... that they're not as hungover when they drink beer in Germany, you know, because there are like these German beer laws that like, I don't, I don't know. You but can't like, add you... like preservatives and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So like, yeah. And I mean, I, I believe it. It's, it's real. It is. I have a friend who's living in Spain right now and we exchanged messages this morning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're glowing. And she is. And she's young and she's cute. So she's always glowing to mm-hmm. some extent. But she right. really looked good. Mm-hmm. And she wrote back and she said, I eat gelato here every day. (laughs) I'm eating, you know, full fat yogurt and eggs and all these things. And my stomach has not hurt once since I've been here. Mm -hmm. And she's drinking wine all the time. She's like, I'm eating worse and I feel way better. Right. Why? 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 Yeah. 
Why? Because you're eating food. Because it's real food. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like, food. oh, this yeah. gelato ingredients, you know, 50 things listed right. in. One of the things that really uh, is off my radar now because it became so on my radar that I like stepped away from the normal foods that most people buy is just how often food coloring, yeah. which is one of these things that is illegal in most of Europe, these mm-hmm. colorings. It's just put in everything. Yeah. Gatorade. Mm-hmm. It all has food coloring. Yeah. Gum, food coloring. Yeah. There's a new Wait, um Gatorade's not blue. It's not it's not naturally. <laughs> naturally. But I thought it was from the ice, the blue ice. Yeah. They melted that special blue and ice. Yellow. This is terrible <laughs> news. Um, you know, like Oreo came out with a gluten free Oreo mm. and I'm a sucker for a company that tries. Sure. So we bought some gluten free Oreos. Mm-hmm. Kids love them. Right. Um and I even though it's like a play for the market value, mm-hmm. like, and I, I still appreciate the token gesture. They sure. didn't have to. They did. They're vegan, right? Oreos? They are. Look at that. Yes. Look at that. Check Basically a salad. Yeah. You know, everyone can have them. <laughs> so then Oreo came out with a gluten-free mint Oreo. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, mint chocolate. I love that. Right. Like, we'll grab some mint Oreos. Mm-hmm. Did not even occur to me that the cream would be dyed bright green mm, with four right. different food colorings. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I'm just so used to buying like mm-hmm. whatever hippie brand I usually you know, like, get. Clearly they mashed up some mint. They used chlorophyll, <laughs> you know? It's yeah. it's easy, guys, but they did not use chlorophyll. So I bought these mint Oreos and brought them home. Mm-hmm. And, and then, like an idiot, flipped the label over after purchase. And it was like you know blue five and mm-hmm. i'm so bad i don't even know what numbers they i like are. how you say like an idiot but no one looks at nutrition labels <gasps> mary that's exactly <laughs> it no one's looking okay yeah. this is a great time to pivot to yeah. the conversation about public health and the general public approaches to health and yeah. nutrition and respect mm-hmm. okay so there's a lot of conversation right now and i wanted to go here a few minutes ago when you said you read all the labels well yeah. so do i generally yeah. right you have to mm-hmm. you have to for carb sure. reasons and curiosity that's now. how i was gonna edit this i mean like i i look at the carbs that's right. what i look at yeah. i don't look at the calories i barely look at the ingredients yeah. I, if i'm being honest you yeah. know i look at the carbs yeah and that is the thing that is important to me and that like you know affects my body do you check fiber no you don't care about like net carbs or whatever that's more of like a type two thing yeah. yeah. I'm more like acutely aware of like what just the total carbs, because it's also like carbs versus sugar or whatever, right. right? Sometimes they are equal. Sometimes they are wildly different. Like in bread, right? It'll be like 27 carbs, one gram of sugar right. somehow. But it's like the carbs that are actually affecting my body. So right. I don't want to, yeah, I just don't want to make it sound like I'm like, in detail, checking like all of the things right. on the back of every. That's but I am, me because I'm I like, does it have pea protein isolate? Yeah. That's going to be way down the list. Yeah. Um, right. And I know Aurora is like, what in this is going to kill me? Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Lots of label reading comes from food allergies or sensitivities. Yeah. But in the public sphere, there is this conversation about food labels, and apparently, according to research. Mm-hmm. Most people don't even do the flip. Right. They look at the front of the package on the shelf, which is basically a commercial. Yeah. It's like a picture of a cartoon character having mm-hmm. the best day of their life. Yeah. And then it's like Kellogg's right. or whatever. And people are like, ooh, especially kids who do a lot of grabbing off the shelves. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those kids grow into adults who have the same kind of motivation for purchasing. Sure. Is it Does it look tasty? Mm-hmm. Have I seen a commercial for it? Is it familiar? Is there a health claim on the right. front? And mm-hmm. now there are, you know... Low in added sugar, five grams of fiber per serving, whatever it might be, high in antioxidants, Mm -hmm. et cetera. It's not saying like 
plus 25 ingredients and it's bromated and fortified with synthetic things right. and there's food coloring. Right. That's not on the front. But even people that don't care about that level of detail are having a conversation right now about moving a label to the front. Sure. It's been happening in other countries. Uh, famously in Chile, they've done research where they put warning labels mm -hmm. on the front of foods that yeah. are high in sugar, mm -hmm. and it decreases purchase of yeah. those foods, which feels like a win. Um, although I think it's a bit more nuanced than that because I was hearing this research delivered and I was thinking, why did they change their purchase behavior? Because if they changed it for shame reasons, yeah. then I'm not sure it's a win. Yeah, yeah. You know what I sure, mean? Sure. If like a nice little old lady who's always been buying the cookie <laughs> and she gave it to her grandson and yeah. they, they eat it together and like they watch a movie and mm -hmm. it's their special time of the week and like she goes to the store and now there's a big black box on the cookie and she's yeah. like, oh, I'm a bad grandma, uh -huh. yeah. you know? I don't know if that's a win. Well, also it doesn't work. Like, because right. like, I'm, I'm just about to say, look at, um, every pack of cigarettes um, in right. Europe, right? Um, they're brutal. Yeah. They're fucking There's like pictures brutal. of like people dying of pictures cancer. Of like dead babies. Yeah. And like people with like no, just a throat ripped out. Yeah. And people like dying in a hospital bed. And like, you know, this stops no one from right. smoking cigarettes. Right. Everybody smokes cigarettes in Europe, right? Right. So it doesn't work. Right. There must be another way besides just like scare people or, you know, put information well, like you could put on all the information you want about cigarettes on the front of a carton about right. what all the bad stuff it's going to do to you. It's not going to change people's minds. So I don't know if it's the well, answer. You know? Well, so this is totally but, the conversation is like in the time period that labels have become more informative, which is basically our lifespan. Yeah. Okay. In the last 30 some odd years, we've added nutrition facts. We've added more ingredients. We've mm -hmm. added more requirements for ingredients like allergy labeling. During that same time period, everyone's gotten fatter and sicker. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look at it, it's probably not cause and effect, right? Mm -hmm. But it certainly isn't causing a positive effect. So the question is, number one, what is the benefit of all that information if no one's utilizing it? Yeah. Number two, would a thing on the front change purchasing behavior over time because again even this study in chile where they're showing a benefit it's a pretty short time frame mm -hmm. purchasing patterns may return to baseline yeah. over a period of two years you get tired of feeling shamed and you're like i want that goddamn cookie my grandson and i love that cookie yeah, we're yeah. gonna have it or like i'm gonna bake my own fucking cookies right. um so over time like people do become desensitized like the first time you see the dead baby on the cigarettes yeah. maybe you think twice mm -hmm. but the 100th time you see it maybe sure. you're like well it's not my baby you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> light them yeah, up right, right. so I wonder like first of all if having a warning label on the front of a package would maybe temporarily change purchasing habits but mm -hmm. over time not mm -hmm. and also Processed food companies are good. They're slick. So yeah. if they know that their package is going to get a warning label at the 10 gram of sugar per serving right. line, they'll probably figure out how to reformulate using artificial sweeteners and some mix of artificial and real sweeteners. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going deeper into right. the world of food chemistry and, and processed foods. And so is that really a net win? Right. And so this is where like regulation comes in, right? And being like these other things that you're literally not allowed to do, right? right. And then this is where other people will come in and be like well that's anti-american you can't tell them what to put in and not put in their food and it's like you know right come on guys well now i have to go into two big questions that mm -hmm. i think about a lot i'm going to ask them back to back and you pick which one you want to answer okay. first the first question is about both the public health system 
and the government maybe in general, Mm -hmm. and the medical establishment. And that question is, is it possible to heal someone that you don't respect? Mm -hmm. The other question, again, choose your own adventure, Mm -hmm. is that narrative that you just shared around, well, you can't impact the food system that much because that's anti-American, because people deserve freedom to choose. Is there such a thing as choice in an environment which is as saturated with marketing messages as our environment is. Mm-hmm. Like, does choice exist in America? Does free will exist? Is there such thing as a selfless act? I mean, this Let is me a deeper ask question. God. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> Are you out there? Yeah, yeah. That's a much more difficult one to answer, I think. But the first one, can you treat someone or can you heal someone? Is it possible to really heal someone if you don't respect them? If, if where you start is not from a place of respect? If you're... Uh, if your desire is to truly heal them, maybe. But if your desire is to turn them into someone that you respect, then no. Oh, unpack that for me. I think my first endocrinologist might be a good example of this, right? I don't think he respected me. I think he saw a 20-year-old, new, diabetic. He's probably seen a lot of diabetics in his life, and he's probably formed a bias right most people fail at this most people don't take it seriously most people unless i yell at them and you know really like berate them um then maybe they'll start to take it seriously right his first thing is like let me turn him into like a respectable young man who takes things seriously right not like this is this person uh they're he's his own person and I'm here to treat this person. And that's a very different thing than trying to form somebody into like your idea of a respectable human. Yeah, that's so true. I'm trying to think about how that applies across the healthcare system in general. Um, let's look at obesity, yeah. right? If you're a doctor and you think it's just dumb to be obese because yeah. obviously it's not good for you. Right. Just so eat better. Just a stupid choice. Like eat better and exercise. Just move more, yeah. eat less, right? Mm-hmm. My favorite. Yeah. The most, just the most precise mm-hmm. advice. Move, move more, more, eat, eat less. less. Yeah. Ah, thank Easy. you, doctor. Mm-hmm. Did you learn that in medical school? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much did you pay for that? Yeah. Um, How much am I paying for this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. America. Um, but yeah, like I think that what you're saying is so true is like, the first thing on that doctor's mind is maybe I want to fix this person in my own eyes as opposed to starting from what, what that person's goals are and where that person is struggling to meet their own expectations and meet their own goals. I mean, I think there are plenty of people who just again, to use obesity as an easy example who are maybe comfortable with that, but then there are plenty who aren't Mm -hmm. and do want to lose weight and it's hard and just being told to move more and eat less yeah. doesn't work. Right. So um, having a doctor look at you and basically go, you know, you're not really acceptable to me right now, but mm-hmm. you would be right. if you changed in this way that I think you should. And then maybe we could start having more of a relationship. I mean, nobody would, well, I was going to say nobody would tolerate that in a romantic partnership, but of course many do. But we wouldn't call it a good partnership. Right, we wouldn't right. call it a healthy friendship right. or relationship if it was like, first you have to become respectable in my eyes, and then right. we can actually come together. Yeah. So that's interesting. 
so even though my question about marketing is, you know, like the question of life on earth, like what is the meaning and, yeah. you know, is it predetermined? Just to like zoom it in a little bit, yeah. I think that from a policy perspective, mm -hmm. if we want to have a quote unquote free market where people are allowed to make their choices, then we have to enforce information because if you study economic theory, people can't make choices unless they're informed. It's one of the reasons that the healthcare market is so challenging yeah. because healthcare is considered so complicated, so complex, sure. that the average consumer can never be adequately informed mm -hmm. to make those choices. It's why there are many arguments for controlling the healthcare market in yeah. a variety of ways because it's not seen as a market that could be strictly consumer-based because if someone says you have cancer and then they just drop you in a grocery store and the shelves are full of cancer drugs, right. like probably you're never going to know enough to choose which drug. So yeah. that, that's a great example of like, that's not a perfect market for just a free system, yeah. right? But in theory, the story that we're told is that the food market is different. The food market is all about just choice and pleasure and enjoyment. And like, if my favorite foods are Doritos, Cheetos, and Fritos, right. which I like to say because they rhyme, yeah. then like, that's my beautiful choice that I'm making. Sure. But that's not true because yeah. first of all, no one who's perfectly informed about food would choose those things right. because they would know from studying nutrition and physiology that there aren't any nutrients in those foods and that the whole reason we eat food as animals is to get nutrients. So in inherent to the choice of those foods is a lack of information. Mm -hmm. And then piled on top of the lack of information is marketing, is companies Definitely. that are paying billions of dollars every mm -hmm. year, which they wouldn't do if it didn't do anything for them, mm -hmm. to send messages to children on television yeah. with cartoon characters on packaging, billboards in mm -hmm. usually focused and low-income neighborhoods, yeah. saying, this food will make you cooler. This food yeah. will make you more fun. We'll make you fool. It'll make Hungry? you feel satisfied. Why wait? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not yourself. Yeah. Or like I, there's like special campaigns around certain sodas where it's like always an athlete. It's always like these athletes yeah. eating McDonald's. Dude, Michael Jordan. Right. McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so mean, how can anyone be thought to be making a pure choice when they've spent ages zero to 18? Let's just say at 18, you become capable of choice. Yeah. That entire time was saturated with all of your heroes eating McDonald's in front of you mm -hmm. and then you drive past a giant arches all yeah. the time is that choice well it's not a it's not a priority for a, a lot of people like when you are struggling to survive hustling not even just um, like low income people but like obviously like especially if you're low income and you live in a food desert and like all there is for you is like convenience stores and you know 7-elevens and you know bodegas and stuff then like yeah like you don't have like the best nutrition even available to you for you to make a choice, right? And then on top of that, if you are hustling all the time and your schedule's different and you got kids and you got bills to pay, like you're not thinking about the two hours that you have to cook a delicious dinner that night. You're just like, I'm hungry. What is here? Yeah. What is cheap? Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. as far down that path of like decision making as you go. So it's like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different angles here but yeah. like yes information is important i think of all the time about like uh you know when i was in middle school high school and like home ec 
was a class that you could take. Yes. Um, it wasn't a class that you had to take, right? You could take it if it was an elective. Yeah. You could take it if you wanted. It was kind of a joke, yeah. right? And they would maybe teach you how to sew something and how to cook something. Bake cookies. Bake cookies. Yeah. yeah. Maybe how to scramble an egg. Maybe. Oh, we definitely learned yeah. egg scrambling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the most food education I think that you get in high school and middle school, at least in like the schools that I went to, yeah. which is crazy to me. It's like, why are we not teaching people how like, I don't know, fun, easy, nutritious cooking is cheaper a lot of the time also, right? Like if you are going grocery shopping and not eating out every day, even if you're eating out at like McDonald's every day, it's like it probably will be cheaper for you to uh, to be cooking all the time, yeah. I think. Um, it'll definitely be more healthy, right? More, more nutritious. But like it's not even a not even a piece of the puzzle of like what's what's talked about in school when in like the most formative years yeah. right so like if you grow up with somebody um who's who's great you know if your mom your dad whoever you're living with is like a great cook then maybe maybe you're informed by that and you're like i want to get into cooking also and like i've watched it my whole life but if you're just not if that's just not an element of like your upbringing and you don't get it from school and you don't get it from home then like yeah the wheel keep spinning and that is what your relationship to food is i'm hungry where is it cheap fast now over yeah yeah 100 percent. and you know i keep thinking about the phrase garbage in garbage out mm -hmm. which applies to so many things yeah. <laughs> um in this moment i was thinking about it from a policy perspective mm -hmm. it's like we've had bad policies and so we're getting bad results obviously when you eat bad foods or, you know, nutrient starved foods, yeah. you get bad results. Mm -hmm. You don't feel your best, don't have stable energy. Um, but recently a, a policy was put into place in my daughter's school and it was, it's celebrated. It's a free breakfast policy. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. Sounds like a progressive dream. Mm -hmm. Her school was selected to be a pilot program for universal free breakfast. So you no longer have to opt in or apply like to prove that you're low income enough everyone gets free breakfast mm -hmm. and you don't have to go to the cafeteria to get it. They come and they deliver it to the classroom. Cool. So that does sound cool, right? And I got this email that was like, great news. Yay. Mm -hmm. What a win for our school and our kids. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and then I went online and I read the menu mm -hmm. and I had to sit my child down. Mm -hmm. And if you were a little child with diabetes, mm -hmm. your mom would have to sit you down yeah. and say, Honey, you can never eat the free breakfast. Mm -hmm. Every single day that you go to school from now until the end of the year, you have to say no thank you and mm -hmm. sit there while everyone around you eats a cinnamon bun. I was going to guess. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to guess. You can guess the other one. It's mm -hmm. like a rotation of cinnamon bun and something else. Cinnamon bun, I bet it would be like a, like a blueberry muffin of some sort, a bagel maybe, uh, and like apple juice. Right? Oh boy. Some kind of like juice box. If they went as savory as a bagel, <laughs> I, I would even be shocked. It is like waffles with syrup mm -hmm. that come together in a package. And then, which again, to the average person who just thinks healthy or whatever, but right. you know from a carb perspective, a side of raisins. Uh -huh. They're like, hey, have you not had enough carbs? Right, right, right. We're just going to blast it home. Mm -hmm. So waffles with syrup, maybe some raisins, and then yes, a juice box. Yeah. But just sugar, 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 yeah, sugar, yeah, yeah. sugar, sugar. So if your parents care about your, if your parents have the time to read the menu, mm -hmm. which God knows most don't, right. 
Um, and I only do because it's literally what I do, yeah. right? It's the thing that I care about most. But if you have a chronic illness, if your kid is diabetic, if your kid has allergies, which mm -hmm. is more and more kids, so it's not really a perfect solution, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we've just othered a bunch of kids. We've yeah. made a bunch of kids have to opt out every day publicly. Right. And I get that before a bunch of other kids were othered. They mm -hmm. had to opt in publicly. Mm -hmm. They had to say, hey, I'm the kid who couldn't afford breakfast, yeah, you know? Yeah, right. So it's not perfect either way. Yeah. But maybe there could be a perfect solution, like first period every day is a cook and eat your own breakfast class in which you choose from a variety of healthful, maybe locally grown ingredients. And once a month, a farmer comes in and talks about it. And once a month, a chef comes in and talks about it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I wrote the plan, although I might, yeah. but I don't love celebrating theoretical steps forward that are actually steps backward. Yeah. And there's For a sure. lot of that going on yeah. in the policy space. Yeah. Like, look, um, how, look, how, look how good we did. Look at us giving at sugar us. to a bunch of kids every yeah. morning. Yeah. You know, I, I would love to see the data over time on like, let's say test scores. That's like the only metric we have in the schools. Sure. Um, but, but what about nutrition education in mm -hmm. schools? What about if when you were 20 and you were diagnosed with diabetes, mm -hmm. if you had had 14 years of yeah. education that included nutrition education, mm -hmm. would you have been better prepared? Yeah, possibly, right? Who's to say? Who's to say? Yeah. It's hard to know. I mean, yeah, I know more about it now than I ever did before. That's for sure. Or you ever know. hope to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super entwined. I mean, yeah, like education is only a good thing. It's all, you know, it can only help, I would think. Right. Right. And to start uh, placing a value system early on that like, you know, food is important and it affects you. And it's not just this thing that you have to get out of the way, you know, because you're hungry and you're busy and you're, oh, I forgot to eat lunch today and I'm oh, eating really quickly and everything. But like, you build it into your value system and to your to your everyday life it's like uh, maybe the most important thing this is why i called you after my last doctor's appointment when i was so frustrated i was just like i just have to rant about this real quick but like you know i uh, went to see my new endocrinologist the other one left she absorbed all of uh, her patients so i'm sure she has hundreds of patients now and uh it's my first meeting with her and she just goes um so are you on a diabetic friendly diet and I was like, yeah, I think so. I she, hope. Yeah. And she goes, okay. Move on. That's the only question about food. I was there for like an hour. That was literally the only thing she asked me about food. And then everything else is, oh, we're going to put you on a sliding scale, uh, you know, your carb to insulin ratio and blah, blah, blah. But like, no, no question about like when what time is the first thing that you eat every day? When, when do you eat? You know, what do you eat? What goes in? What, you know, like nothing just like nothing it's like wasn't even part of the conversation and it's wild to me that i don't know it it's a little depressing but it's just like what it why is, is but it's it's not, important yeah like why are we not like this is the this should be the first item on the agenda what are you eating how does it affect your body then everything else should be planned around that you know obviously was, i agree yeah she was shocked when i said at the end i would like to speak to a nutritionist, you know, maybe like uh, update my plan or whatever. She was like, wow, you want to talk to a nutritionist? It's like, yeah. She was like, amazing. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. And I was like, well, why didn't you 
offer that as a, you know, she was just like, I just, I just, I love seeing patients who are like enthusiastic about their care and who really want to, I was like, and this is like a window into the life of an endocrinologist who was like, I'm just seeing these diabetics all the time who are just like fucking up maybe. And like, I get it. Like it's hard. Like this disease is fucking hard to manage and it's discouraging. Like, you know, I'll have a great day where it's like straight line one to one eighteen or something all day long. And then the next day all over the place, you know, and I feel like I didn't change anything. Right. But it's like, it's up, it's down, you know, just like chasing it all day. So it's like, it's hard. Like I really get it. I get it like being diabetic and feeling discouraged or whatever. But from the viewpoint of a doctor, they're just like, Oh, you, you know, here's another one, you know, it's just like, can't get it or whatever. Maybe if I give him this new plan, he'll listen to me right? or whatever. And it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Square hole round pig or whatever. Like, yeah, maybe she has like disappointment fatigue. Like yeah. she offered her first one. Like she came fresh out of endocrinology right. school. <laughs> right. She's like telling everyone like, you know, you can go see a nutritionist. And right. they were all like, mm. no, yeah, like I'm going to do it my way. I'm good. And she, and she burned out. Yeah. I do want to say authentically that I want to thank you because, um, as you know, it's important to me that we take public health topics that you just like hear in the news, like buzzwords, like lots of people are diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we never hear from diabetics. Yeah. Like we just hear news stories about diabetes, about how like the cost of yeah. care, like you hear about obviously insulin, huge yeah. topic in the news. And maybe once in a while somebody actually interviewed a diabetic on camera, but very, very rare to actually hear the narrative, the first person story yeah. of what that's like. So thank you for being sure. willing to talk about it because I know that, again, even though I study public health and think about it all the mm-hmm. time, I have no idea what it's like yeah. to be a diabetic. But I was feeling a lot of kinship with you when, especially when you said, I don't know why this makes me feel emotional, but when you said every room that I go into, mm-hmm. I have to wonder what's for me and what's not for me. Mm-hmm. I just really relate to that yeah. from a food perspective. And also just like a person perspective, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak for every diabetic, but I, I bet a lot of us share this where like, I, uh, I definitely kept it a secret for like a long time. There's still definitely people who are going to watch this and be like, I didn't know he was diabetic. You know, um, people say that to me all the time. Part of it is like, when you watch somebody inject themselves with a syringe, like, like I do it pretty, like, I, like I got no shame. Like I'll just be in public, like in the middle of a park and just like jab because I'm like, yeah, this is what I do every day. Deal (laughs) with it. It's not heroin. I promise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it is funny to watch me like before a gig, like right before I go on stage and I'm just like giving myself this thing and people are like, well, you know, um, get that monkey off your back. Yeah. (laughs) Got to itch. Scratch it. Um, and so, yeah, there is a there's a stigma with injections right. and needles and you know this whole thing that maybe people just like I just don't want someone to watch me giving myself an injection and like right. I totally get that. And then the other part is just like the uh, total miseducation around uh, diabetes, the assumptions that people make. You know, um, most people I would I would guess don't really know that there's a difference between type one and type two, right? They just hear diabetic. He probably ate too much ice cream and now. He's that he has diabetes and then he definitely shouldn't eat ice cream anymore. And so if someone sees you 
and they know you're diabetic and you're eating something that's not like a piece of chicken, right? They're like, should you, should you be eating that? And it's like, I, that's a question that I'm just like, I have no patience. But like, I don't want to, like, I'm happy to like educate some people if they have some actual questions, but right. like, I don't need like the judgment and the shame and the everything else. Like if I'm eating a sandwich or something, you know, or if I'm eating literally anything with a carb in it, which is everything. Right. right? <laughs> um, so I think a lot of diabetes, a lot of diabetics like play it close to the chest for that reason where they're just like, I don't feel like having this conversation every day. I don't feel like I, like, I don't want people's judgmental eyes on me. I only, there's like diabetics that I know, like friends of mine who I just like, I see the CGM on their arm now and I'm like, oh, like I had no idea. Let's talk about it, you know? And it's always refreshing to like talk to, have actual, you know, have an actual conversation with like other type one diabetics. It's just, uh, it's wild. The one thing that I would like, that I would, I wish people would understand is that like for a type one diabetic, an apple is the same as like a bowl of ice cream. It, it, Essentially, I know it's not, but you know what I'm saying. Like it affects our. It could glucose. even be worse. I mean, yeah. ice cream has fat, so it might even <laughs> right. slow entry of the sugar yeah. into the bloodstream. The apple is just going to smack you right over the head with it. Yeah, exactly. Like th- this thing that is supposed to be the beacon of health versus this thing that is supposed to be the opposite of that or whatever. They do the same thing to our body. They raise our glucose level, so it's not a matter of like just don't eat sweets. Right. Um, it's a matter of like literally everything with a carb is going to raise my glucose. So no matter if it's an apple, a piece of bread, a carrot, um, or a piece of cake, right? I'm giving myself insulin. Like I have to give myself insulin no matter what it is. So if you are looking at diabetics with judgmental eyes, I would, I would advise you to just consider that, that literally anything with a carb is going to make it go up. And that's the thing that we're chasing every day is like, just what's this going to do today? What's this carrot going to do to me? What's this uh, sandwich going to do to me? What's this wheat bread versus rye bread versus sourdough versus whatever going to do to me? You know, it's just a constant like that's the real journey of it. It's just like, am I ever really going to know exactly how it's going to react? And I will circle back and say that's the one place where I do give credit to the sort of uh, Internet influencer language of there is no such thing as a bad food. Mm -hmm. What's true about that is that from a glycemic load perspective from a carbohydrate perspective Mm -hmm. if you eat a carb even if it's a quote-unquote certified organic whatever healthy carb an apple and an orange heaven forbid um that's going to spike your blood sugar and operate as a sugar in the body and so if you would rather eat a bowl of ice cream or a candy bar and you're willing to not have the apple mm-hmm. in exchange right. from a carbohydrate perspective, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, make that trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're missing out on some vitamin C. Right. Maybe don't do it every day. Right. But it's important to know, like, yes, even healthy foods will negatively impact blood sugar. Right. Um, even if they have great nutrients in them, right. they can still be challenging for anyone and then especially for someone who can't make their own insulin. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Okay, so you were once a college student, and then you became a man, <laughs> Mazel Tov. <laughs> and, you know, now you've walked this long and winding path, not mm-hmm. that long, but here we are in our 30s, and you're hustling, you're doing many things. So mm-hmm. what's next? What are you up to? And uh, what are you looking ahead to in the next, I don't know, three, five, ten years? 
summer plan yeah i wish i was uh better at answering this question because uh, me and my wife talk about this all the time um but uh yeah you know uh adult things buy a house have smoke a family a pipe. yeah smoke an old corn cob pipe um you know uh seeing what happens with this whole uh touring thing you know like i've done a lot of it i'm you know currently feeling very uh burnt out but like you know that feeling that like ebbs and flows right like with a, any musician life it's like there are times when you're like all i want to do is be on tour and then there's times where you're like this is annoying <laughs> it's cool to be home home is really cool stable income is really cool um we are uh, i'm in the middle of like this kind of transitional moment with my job with like the bar managing thing so there's like exciting things on the horizon for that um probably gonna keep teaching for the foreseeable future because i enjoy teaching drums and music and um yeah i mean like you know music's always going to be an element of my life in one way or the other um i do love it and i'm fully obsessed with it uh yeah it's just a lot it's like we'll see do you feel like music helped you get through the grief of your diagnosis i don't know i i think it i wasn't really like writing songs at that time maybe if i was more in like songwriter mode where i was like I know how to pick up a guitar and like write lyrics Take and my pain. emote or yeah. whatever. But I was really just playing drums nonstop at the time. Yeah. And it wasn't really like a, maybe not like, I don't know. I wasn't aware of it. If it was, I wasn't like, I'm going to process this feeling of being angry about diabetes drum solo, you know, <laughs> like it wasn't, it wasn't that. Um, but of course it always helps. I mean, music, like when I don't play music for like, I don't know, three, five, seven days, like I, feel my body vibrating in a different way and like uh, oh i didn't like process that stress or anxiety or you know i think people will often tell me that i kind of have like a chill demeanor or whatever and i'm like yeah i beat the shit out of drums like often like really really often you know and yeah. uh it's like yeah it's helpful i also play drums with great grace and uh, yes. i do not always hit them very hard but delicate. i'm just saying very delicate sometimes he's capable yeah. of playing delicately <laughs> folks so don't yeah. worry you can hire him for quiet gigs yes, indoor yes. events as well exactly yeah i've got all the all the quiet symbols um <laughs> but uh yeah no i mean it definitely like it helps like it definitely helps you got to find your thing I think also like your nervous system gets adjusted to it. You're probably like hooked on it. I am. Like if you didn't play drums for a week. Yeah. That'd be too long. I think most musicians are 100% hooked. I was thinking today about like hobbies and how musicians tend to not have them. And uh, I think there's something really funny about that. I don't know what it is like why where the disconnect is. It, it's possible that it's like musicians are like, well, a hobby is just a time where I could be practicing, you know, like why would I have a hobby? And then there's the other thing of like, you don't want to be like bad at something new, right? right. You don't want to like learn, like, why do I want to learn how to sew or something? Like, I'd rather just be playing drums or whatever. I just think it's a funny thing. Musicians tend to not have hobbies. And then one day you're naked playing drums and you're like, I wish I could sew. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Damn it. Well, I have good news for you. And then I think I have to wrap it up because yeah. otherwise I would literally keep you here all day. Yeah, and I would you, miss uh, Rosh Hashanah dinner. And you have a party to uh, attend. Yeah. <laughs> But my good news for you is this. I interviewed my 98-year-old grandpa mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. And he told me, because I asked him some question about, you know, when you were young and what you expected from your life versus how it turned out. Like, what are the differences? And mm -hmm. he was like, 
I never looked ahead. <laughs> like he never had a plan. He uh -huh. was never making a five or 10 year plan. He never knew what the heck was going to come next. He just like followed his heart yeah. and his curiosity and he kept doing that. And he was a great success and he's 98 and he's smart and he's funny and he's chill. Yeah. So like, I just, I say that because you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm not really sure like what comes <laughs> next. And apparently that's a method that works. Hey, so right. well, do not be afraid. Yeah. You keep chasing that blood sugar and chasing <laughs> your dreams. Yeah. And like, I guess don't worry about it. That's what my grandpa's advice basically gave to me was like, eh. I think when you're a kid and you're looking up at your parents' life and that adult's life, you it seems as though you, you're going to hit an age where everything's just going to kind of level out at one point and things are just like, they just start going like this. And like, you know, the older you get, you realize that it's definitely not like that. There's definitely not, you're like, oh, I'm 35 and things are just like this now. It's like, no, it's constantly all over the place, right? Life, a, like glucose levels, is highly variable. So grab some juice and buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I'm going to do a CGM experiment. I think you definitely should. I'd yeah. be super I'm curious. shocked that I haven't. I love yet. that you told me the other day, you were like, yeah, my blood sugar was really high. It was 120. <laughs> I was like, that's like an amazing day for us. We're you like, were like, I literally hate you. Yeah. <laughs> but it did. It's like, according to the literature from like the mega health nerds, like that's a high blood sugar. So yeah. I think I'm going to do it mm -hmm. and I'm going to let you know how it goes. Yeah. And you inspired me. Well, love it. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks for Where me. should people hunt you down if they want to know what kind of music you play, mm. if they want you to teach them how to beat drums so they can be chill too, yeah. and they happen to live maybe nearby? I'm sure you're, you know, fully sure. booked and busy, but maybe yeah, you Baltimore have a, based, yeah. a website um, we can drop in the in the you know details yeah instagram is probably the easiest way and that's where there's a million videos of me playing drums and doing stuff so awesome. uh be more cavalier like b-m-o-r-e cavalier right. that's the that's the instagram tag so that's probably the best way perfect awesome yeah. well we will tag that yeah down below and send people to watch you both gently and aggressively yes hit the drums yes and occasionally play guitar jazz and punk it's all in there all yeah. in there well thank you again so much for coming i really appreciate you as a friend and a human i appreciate you too thank you for teaching me things always much appreciated my pleasure yeah. this episode of the marion flaxman network podcast was produced by brain trust productions and sponsored by informed solutions consulting for more information about me marion please visit my website marionflaxman.com for more information about my guest, Dave Cavalier, please find him on Instagram at BeMoreCavalier. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.